Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabisolo Hoku. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the summer. As Tanzania gears up for elections later this month, opposition parties are hopeful that they will cause an upset and secure a shock victory in the polls. South Africa's health minister has yet again cautioned against people relaxing attitudes towards COVID-19, arguing that a second wave of the virus remains a real threat. And in economics news, Australian stock exchange listed resources giant scoring a Zimbabwean landscapes to unlock fresh opportunities. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. Nearly a dozen MPs have died from COVID-19 in Southern Africa. The announcement was made by the head of the Southern African Development Community's Parliamentary Forums, Esperanza Bias. The MPs are from Angola, Madagascar, Malawi, Mauritius and Zimbabwe. She offered her condolences to the families as she ended a session of the Parliamentary Forum in Mozambique's capital, Maputo. In South Africa, 888 new coronavirus cases have been recorded in the past 24-hour cycle, putting the cumulative number at 693,359. According to the health department, 83 more COVID-19-related deaths have been recorded, bringing the national death toll to 17,863. Liberia's President George Rea has asked the U.S. to help with investigations into the mysterious deaths of three senior officials in finance-related posts. The state-linked Liberia news agency quoted Rea as urging people not to speculate and to await the outcome of investigations. The deaths had sparked rumors of an assassination campaign. It named one of the officials who had died as the head of the internal audit agency. Emmanuel Nyesua. The other two worked for the Liberia Revenue Authority, but Lina did not name them. U.S. President Donald Trump has held his first election rally since testing positive for the coronavirus less than two weeks ago. He told an enthusiastic crowd in Florida that he was now in perfect shape and immune to the virus. We have made America wealthy again. We have made America strong again. We have made America proud again. And we will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, Florida. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
But there was no sign of social distancing at the venue in the city of Sanford and many were not wearing masks. Meanwhile, with three weeks until polling day, Trump's election rival Joe Biden remains ahead in the polls. Biden has been addressing car workers in the state of Ohio, which Trump won in 2016. As a consequence of months of overwhelming, lying, misleading, irresponsible action on the part of Donald Trump, how many empty chairs are going to be around the dinner table because of their negligence? How many brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, uncles, aunts, moms, dads are gone? Folks, we're so much better than this. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. First up in our sports update, I'm Figure Nguati. We begin with cricket news. A brilliant A.B. de Villiers hit a blistering unbeaten 73 in 33 balls. And then spinners Washington, Sunda and Yusvendra Shahal weaved a web of magic that strangled the batsmen as the Royal Challengers Bangalore crossed the Kolkata Knight Riders by 82 runs at the Sharjah Cricket Stadium. The lopsided win lifted RCB to the top of the IPL table, equal on points with the Mumbai Indians and the Delhi Capitals. Facing an intimidating victory target of 195 on a slow pitch, only opener Shubman Gill offered anything approaching stiff opposition, cracking 34 in 25 balls, including three fours and a six. It was a measure of KKR's misfortunes, however, that he ran himself out while betting with Ian Morgan, desperate to retain the strike. On to football news, the South African Premier Soccer League, PSL, together with MTN, launched the 2020 MTN 8 Wafa Wafa tournament in Johannesburg. This year's MTN 8 campaign promises to enhance fans' experience by encouraging them to remake 2020 with the spirit of Wafa Wafa by participating in the tournament engagement activities to stand a chance to win a share of the 484,000 US dollars worth of prizes. PSL General Manager Professor Ronnie Schloss says this tournament has attracted interest from other international leagues. This competition is unique in the world. And I must tell you that in the last, it's about the last six months, we've had two inquiries from overseas associations saying, how do you handle this situation? Because overseas they've had problems. Clubs field weak teams because they, they know they're not going to get relegated. Makes no difference whether they finish ninth or 20th. And there's been a tremendous interest now shown from overseas associations as to how the league handles the situation and that's why i say the mtn8 is unique and finally the growth point south africa's national squash tournament is set for a gripping finale from the 15th to the 17th of october in pretoria a field of 16 eight women and eight men will contest the showcase section of the event on the all-class court at the brooklyn mall following the eight regional playoffs around the country at the weekend after the lengthy break caused by COVID-19, the sport announced its return in emphatic fashion as the Squash CSA innovation to introduce regional qualifying events proved a huge success with a total of 436 players competing at the different hubs over the weekend. That's your sport news this hour. SABC News. Independent. And impartial. From an African perspective. 
Thank you, Figulet 707 Central African Town, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. As Tanzania gears up for elections later this month, opposition parties are hopeful that they will cause an upset and secure a shock victory in the polls that many observers believe will be closely contested. The East African country goes to the polls on the 28th of October to elect a president, members of parliament and councillors. This will be the country's fifth general election since the reintroduction of the multi-party system in the country in 1992, while President John Magufuli has pledged a peaceful and credible process. The election comes amid concerns of narrowing freedoms and increasing authoritarianism. For more on what to expect, Channel Africa spoke to Bubelwa Kaiser, a Tanzanian political commentator. The Tanzania, the current Tanzania um, politics, especially the electoral politics, have taken a different dimension, quite new and unprecedented one. Uh, there, has, there has just very lately happened an abrupt change of uh, the tide, the electoral tide, and uh, the, the entire political landscape in the electoral process has changed eh, because of the emerging uh, very strong candidates from the opposition who, who was not actually was not affected uh, uh, to, to image and he seems to be marshalling, seems to be gathering, you know, mobilizing and supported by quite a lot of people. He, and the, the, the argument for support is very clear. Um, now, to show, the showcasing now the, of the achievement of the current government, President Magufuli, is more of uh, some, some urban in infrastructure like Dar es Salaam, one or two flyovers have been built during the last five years, and there are some plans, but also it's also trying to showcase the construction of a, a public health centers in rural areas, but unfortunately these public health centers do not have enough uh, personnel to, to manage them, there are no medicine, enough medicine for the people to, to get the services they require, but again, sure. uh, conceptually, People go to hospital when they are sick, so people may not feel like they are enjoying going to hospital. It is not correct to say probably there is a free ticket for the incumbent to to run again, to, to, to get through again with the majority victory of the people's vote. You are talking about the political landscape which has changed and of course we can't talk about the current political scene without talking about the the leader of the opposition, Dundulisu. His presence cannot be ignored in these elections. There is no doubt that his return to Tanzanian politics has thrown the spanner in the works, isn't it? Yes, actually, I'm saying it to Lisu. Uh, he was not expecting that. And uh, I think one of the key um, factors or popularity factors is the dark effect of uh, uh, 2017, when he was uh, shot but survived the assassination. And uh, he had from right, right from then. Uh, stayed outside Tanzania for treatment, and uh, he arrived back this year in, uh, in July. He just about three or so weeks before uh, he took the form to contest. So the attack, the attempted assassination uh, against him, was also a contributing factor. But that may not be enough. The guy seems to be more knowledgeable, and uh, he has he had been vocal even before he was. Uh, 
for the, the attempted uh, assassination. Now, you're saying that it won't be easy for President Magufudi to win this election, given the dynamics that you have highlighted. But we know, Mr. Kaiser, that Magufudi goes into this election with a good developmental track record. In July, the World Bank has announced that Tanzania's economy has been upgraded from low to lower middle income status. This development came five years ahead of earlier projections. Uh, I don't think this is much uh, of a uh, local people concerns. The, you know, there are this uh, global uh, super politics at international level uh, with international interest, international uh, concerns, interest, and also the local politics of the people uh, focusing on uh, how people live, how what they eat, how much they eat, eh, how they are ill when they go to hospitals, uh, how much uh, knowledge they get from education, how that knowledge is used to sustain themselves, how do you make people competitive, how free people are, they feel, and how do you do they use these freedoms to enhance their, their daily lives. These are the key issues for the people rather than being, you know, if you have a starving person, a person with, the, with all the skills but is not employed, is, has not been able to secure employment, to secure a job and get income, you know, some of these also people are sick, they cannot be treated. And you tell that people that we are in the middle income uh, category. People who listen to you, uh, just they hear you, but they may not listen to you because they know for them, is to ensure there is meals already and the meals should be enough for them. Now, talking about the integrity of the National Electoral Commission, Mr. Kaiser, we know that uh, it has suspended uh, Tundulisu's campaign for seven days, accusing him of using seditious language and violating election rules. Do you think this suspension has derailed his campaign or do you think it has bolstered his campaign? Uh, it seems it seems uh, even that that suspension is uh, is a question. It falls below below the the justice requirements because uh, some media staff from Tanzania it all started with the regulations for the 2000, 2020 elections. The regulations themselves that are used to manage the elections are lopsided, are skewed. That's uh, Bubelwa Kaiser, Tanzanian political commentator, on the line from the capital, Dar es Salaam, speaking to Kumbele Mujalele. South Africa's Transport Minister Fikile Balula says the march by Umkondoe Siswe Military Veterans Association in the Gauteng province in South Africa is retaliation for his actions in cleaning the rot at the passenger rail agency. In a statement, Balula said this was with particular reference to the termination of security contracts that have achieved the opposite of what they were meant to deliver. The association marched in Johannesburg on Monday morning, demanding the arrest of Mbalula, among other issues. They accused the minister of doing nothing about the severely crippled and vandalized rail system in the country. A Twitter row then ensued as a result of the minister referring to MKMVA members as thugs. Nomalizo Mandel reports. I came here, Prasa was a big, big payroll for men, for everybody. Even yourself, you can retire, open a security company, train Ocho Chuababini, and then you have a company at Prasa. I can tell you, people have had business there. 
They call themselves Mkondo Wesizwe. They've not even crossed the border of Limpopo. I have not gone to the bush, but I know Mkondo. I know my commanders. You're not going to come to me in government and threaten me about being Mkondo Wesizwe. You're not going to do that. You're not going to threaten me that you are Mkondo Wesizwe. I must give you business. That was last month during a press conference responding to a question about the state of Prasa. Yesterday, in a series of tweets, the transport minister claims this is the reason he's being targeted. He said MKMVA has been using Prasa as their milking cow and that his sin was closing the taps for their fake security companies. However, MKMVA president KB Mapatso said they are merely holding the minister to account as the political head. And therefore, the decision taken by uh, Comrade Mbalula to remove the security from uh, the post that we are protecting the rain. Our people are paying more, they are complaining to us that our salary ends up in transport. We can't put food on the, on the table because of this sabotage, which we call sabotage now, but it was a negligence from the Minister of Transport. Mbalula continued with his Twitter rant, calling MKMVA members who were marching thugs. He said Mapatwe was a coward who lost his arm while running away from a military training camp. He said Karl Niehaus is a well-known thug employed by the ANC Secretary General Ace Mahashule at Lutuli House. Mapatwe said Mbalula must focus on fixing the rail infrastructure instead of tweeting. He insulted uh, the MK members as if uh, he knows members of MK better than us, which was an insult to us. We've been quiet for a long time, and that if our people need a voice of reason, MK is a voice of reason. We are not, we are not afraid of anybody. We'll say things as they are. That we are not going to tweet about the sabotage of the infrastructure for our people now because of negligence of one person who is busy tweeting in the media instead of taking care of the security of the infrastructure of our country. Meanwhile, the ANC has reprimanded Mbalula, saying if there were issues, they should be brought before the party and not ventilated on social media. ANC spokesperson Bulemabe. There are issues of aggravation which could cause unnecessary standoff between cadres. We must be seen to be entering. Because cadres of the ANC, regardless of positions they hold, are expected at all material times to display maximum discipline, no matter how much they might feel about certain issues. Now, this statement should serve as a reprimand to Comrade Mbalula that let us use structures of organization to ventilate on our issue. That report by Nomalizo Mandel. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, Cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, 
the 20th of September 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, for Channel Africa in Kinshasa in the DRC, I'm Jean-Noël Pamweze. Stay informed on the latest developments about COVID-19. Visit the World Health Organization's website to get more information. At 7.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa's Transport Minister Figilin Balula says the march by Umkontowesizwe Veterans Association, rather moving on to Zambia, is Zambia's democracy growing or merely just political parties increasing ahead of an election? That's the question Zambians are asking themselves. And Arthur Sukopo, our Lusaka-based correspondent, helps look at the issue following the formation of a new party by a former minister who was fired from the current government. It is a political party that has been formed and launched today in Lusaka, Zambia, by a former commerce finance and works and supply minister who served under three presidents in the movement for multi-party democracy mmd and under the current patriotic front administration before being fired about two years ago felix mutati has formed his political party the movement for democratic change or mdc and sees himself as a strong contender in the 2021 general elections adding to the list of political parties in the country that are reaching over 60 now. An accountant by profession, Felix Mutati has assembled a team of mostly members of the party that he left less than a year ago, the Movement for Multi-Party Democracy, MMD, which is Zambia's former governing party. Speaking at his party launch, Mutati outlined a number of factors that his party would want to offer to Zambians, including dealing with the high debt the country has both internal and externally. And the task that I'll give them is again to look at the policy framework, the fiscal policy, the monetary policy, and make sure that they engineer that policy to be able to stabilize the economy as a basis of growing the economy. To rethink of how the resource, the wealth of this country can be better engineered to benefit more Zambians than few Zambians. Despite having many political parties, Zambians today mainly view two big contenders as the Opposition United Party for National Development and the governing party, the Patriotic Front. The rest usually come up during elections. With over 60 political parties in Zambia, where does this place Mr. Felix Mutati's party, especially ahead of the 2021 general elections? For the next year's election, it provides the people of Zambia the option the alternative, the chance not to choose the lesser of the West. So our role as MDC is to motivate those of our Zambians that now there is an option. Is this growth of democracy or it is just merely one of those ventures people undertake as the country gets close to an election? Governance and elections expert McDonald Chipenzi says Zambia has called in terms of allowing political parties to be registered democratically. But unfortunately, 
most of them are just on paper and doing nothing. And that in itself uh, proves that our multi-party democracy is doing well uh, in terms of uh, allowing as many political parties as possible to appear on the, on the registrar society's uh, list. However, so launching a political party is a different story. And having that political party is the freedom to associate, to assembly, to expression is another. And one key thing that is undermining our democracy is the, is the freedom to assembly, the freedom to campaign. And development expert Lewis Moape says it is everyone's right to associate, but that association should not be hindered. We have seen a number of political parties that are not able to express themselves whose association has actually caused their livelihoods. Some of them are not able to trade in the markets because they belong to a certain political party. So the freedom of association, yes, uh, people have that right. And But then we need to look at um, the other rights. Are they going to enjoy the right of uh, the freedom of expression? Will Felix Mutati make it on the political scene with his MDC? Mark Donajpenzi has this. And you know the challenge with him is that he's coming from the PF, where he was serving as a, as a, as a minister. And because uh, of that fallout, uh, after he was fired, and uh, for him to break through, it will not be an easy job. Meanwhile, Zambia Center for Interparty Dialogue, ZCID, a body that houses political parties in the country through its executive director, Doreen Njovukawe, welcomes the formation and calls for activeness on the scene. It shouldn't be an issue of forming a political party and shelving it. We want to see active participation of the political parties that we have. What is it you want to do for the Zambian people? What is your uh, manifesto? So those are just some clear um, uh, guidelines that uh, we would we would like to see and not just have, have it on paper that we have uh, uh, 70 registered political parties in Zambia. We want active political parties in Zambia. Is Zambia's democracy growing or merely just political parties increasing ahead of an election reporting for channel africa in lusaka zambia i am arthur davis scopo south africa's health minister dr zuelim kize has yet again cautioned against people relaxing attitudes towards covid19 arguing that a second wave of the virus remains real it remains a real threat despite a decline in the number of new infections in the country since September. The country still has the highest caseload of the coronavirus in Africa, with a death toll that has surpassed the 17,000 mark. For a statistical update on the COVID-19 picture in South Africa, which is now on level one of the national lockdown, here's Channel Africa's Jane Rabutata. The numbers are slowing down, but concerns remain. We are now on day 200 of nationwide lockdown under level one, which we remember came into effect 21st of September. In terms of what the picture looks like, the statistics presented by the Minister of Health, Dr. Zuelin Kize, 107 new COVID-19 deaths have been recorded in the last 24 to 48 hour cycle. And two provinces recorded the highest numbers in particular, the Eastern Cape province, which had 58 deaths, and the Free State province, which had 38 deaths. This brings the total death toll in South Africa to 17,780. And in terms of the total number of confirmed positive cases, we are now approaching 700,000 cases in South Africa. 
It is important, Benjamin, to note that we have a very impressive recovery rate of 90%. So, so far, more than 623,000 people have recovered from COVID-19 in South Africa. Well, those are very interesting statistics, especially the fact that uh, uh, you spoke about the 90% recovery figure. Is that um, an, an issue that is that is being investigated into Jane, especially the fact that that particular number seems to be informing our uh, behavior as ordinary South Africans. Uh, what are your thoughts around that particular figure? Because it's been brought out many times, and even the conversations I have with friends and family, it seems that that recovery rate seems to be informing our behavior and the public domain. I definitely agree with you, Ben, that this uh, recovery figure that keeps on being mentioned when we talk about COVID-19 in South Africa is informing the way people are behaving on the ground. People are feeling that, well, clearly, even if I contract COVID-19, it's not a big deal, I will recover. But that's a problem, Benjamin. Even the minister this morning, I was listening to an interview, he did mention that complacency is a problem now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's social distancing fatigue on the ground. People are no longer um, so much concerned as we were in the initial days or months of the pandemic. People have somewhat relaxed, feeling that even if I do contract COVID-19, I'll do just fine because people are recovering in high numbers. I did an interview not long ago where I spoke to an expert who cautioned against this mentality that COVID-19 is better after all. And he particularly said that we must remember that even though we have a small percentage of people who contract the severe form of the virus, nobody knows who will be part of those who develop the severe form of COVID-19 and possibly having a worse result, which may lead to death in, in some cases. That's our reporter, Jane Rabutaza, speaking to Benjamin Mushatata. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, the governor of Nigeria's River State has banned all forms of protest in the southern state following continued protest even after a notorious police unit accused of unlawful arrests and murder was officially disbanded. The head of the Southern African Development Community's Parliamentary Forum says nearly a dozen MPs have died from COVID-19 in Southern Africa. And U.S. President Donald Trump has held his first election rally since testing positive for the coronavirus less than two weeks ago. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, 
Zo za Afrika amka na unai Thank you, Anne. The elite special anti-robbery squad of the Nigerian police force has been disbanded by government in response to a week-long protest by the country's youth who suffered the most in the hands of the officers of the unit, social activists and concerned mothers. The protesters within and outside Nigeria joined forces not just to get the attention of government but also to give their protest an international dimension, presenting the elite unit as murderous and high-handedness in their dealings with the larger Nigerian society and sometimes causing the death of innocent youth, some of them students. Collins Atohengbe reports. The protest calling for the disbandment of the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, SARS, began in 2017 after the reported involvement of men of the squad in extrajudicial killing and other alleged criminal activities forcing the government to set up a body to review the activities of the unit. Parts of the recommendations of the committee was the streamlining of the duty of SARS, but despite the reviews, the unit continued to get mentioned in extrajudicial and policing activities which included unauthorized stop and search and the brutalizing of on armed civilians, killing some in the process. Speaking after consultations with the relevant authorities, the Inspector General of the Nigerian Police, Mohamed Adamu, came on air to announce the disbandment of the unit with immediate effect and other actions meant to complete the government's action on SARS. Following a review of the current developments and in due cognizance of the wide and legitimately held concerns of well-meaning citizens on the existence and operations of special anti-robbery squad as a responsive and citizen-oriented police force, it is hereby directed as follows. The special anti-robbery squad of the Nigeria police, otherwise known as SARS, is hereby dissolved across all formations, the 36 state police commands, and the federal capital territory where they currently exist. All officers and men currently serving in the the units are to be deployed with immediate effect. New policing arrangements to address the offenses of armed robbery and other violent crimes that fall within the mandate of the dissolved special anti-robbery squad shall be presented in due course. A citizens and strategic holders forum will be formed to regularly interface with the leadership of the police at all levels and advise on police activities. Before the disbandment, the protests had attracted the attention of the presidency and the position of the vice president on the development was made public. But what actually caught the public eyes were the extension and staging of the protests offshore in the United States, Britain, and South Africa, among others, by Nigerians who felt it was necessary to give the struggle an international dimension. Here is the expression of a cross-section of Nigerians who demonstrated outside the country. The criminal units of, of the police force that have been killing people, that have been brutalizing the youth, that have been arresting people and extorting them anyhow. You know, they are not doing their job and we are trying to say answers. The process have been going on in Nigeria and in London. We decided to come together and demand that President Mohamed Buhari put a stop to this he should just end SARS we don't want them anymore the viciousness the level of brutality of SARS has reached a level where it cannot be reformed you can do nothing about it but completely disband them this earlier this year protests were sparked and what did they do they said they will reform the SARS 
but at the end, they just changed the name from SARS to FSARS. We're here to pass a message to Nigerians around the world, especially the Nigerian government, that we stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, that calling young people criminals, extorting them, robbing, raping, abusing them, the crime that has been committed by the police services, the security services that are supposed to be protecting them, has gone long enough. Soon after the police chief announced the directives on the dissolution of SARS, journalists, security experts and activists began a chain of reaction which, as it were, have yet to be laid to rest. The former spokesman of the Nigerian police, retired commissioner of police, Emmanuel Ojuku, says the police acted in the right direction. I think it's a very welcome development. And I look forward that uh, in the years to come, other issues that need to be ended will also be ended. Let Nigerians cry and let the government listen so we can move forward in this country. But Natasha Akhide, a journalist and activist who ranked among the top protesters, says the outcome of the protest is a partial success. She spoke of the need for justice for those who lost their lives in the course of the peaceful protest. What happens to the SAS officials that shot them? They're being redeployed into other units of the police force. But we need justice for everyone that has lost their lives in this battle. We've been on and about this since 2017. We've been hearing there are certain procedures to go through as to how SARS can be banned. I'm not free to go out because I'm scared for my life. There's an extent to which you can stretch a rubber band. We've gotten to that climax. For me, it's, it's a partial win. A security analyst, Alfred Ononubo, says... This banding the anti-robbery squad is not the solution to the problem of policing. While I commend the IG for the boldness and the political will to take that decision, it could just be one step uh, in the right direction. The problem of the Nigerian police is not SARS. It's a fundamental problem. So this banding SARS answers to the agitations of those that are involved in the end SARS now protest and it cuts across the values and moral leanings of the police service. The agitators of the NSAS campaign may have succeeded in removing the name SARS from the policing record, but there are weightier matters that the move could generate in the near future. For example, will those who use the occasion of being in the disbanded units to kill be brought to book? While the answer is being sought in a continuous demand for justice, the protest may have opened a new page in the Nigerian spheres of how a concerted protest can arm twist government to backpedal on its unpopular decision to the point of a standoff as have been witnessed in other places in the world where popular protests have dethroned governments. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosara Toengwe for Channel Africa News. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. 
Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, also called COVID-19, for Channel Africa from Planta in Malawi, I am George Mohango. Washing your hands with soap and water or using alcohol-based hand rub kills viruses that may be on your hands. It's 7.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. As we edge closer to the festive season, cash and transit robberies are becoming an often occurrence across South Africa. In recent weeks, these incidents were thrust into the spotlight with brazen attacks taking place on an almost daily basis. The majority of the robberies took place in the Gauteng, Mpumalanga and the Northwest provinces. This concerning trend has led the South African Police Service to set up a national task team of dedicated detectives to combat the brazen criminals conducting these heists. Session Naidu compiled the following report. The recent spate of cash and transit attacks have impacted the whole industry. The spike has been unacceptably high, especially in Gauteng, where there's been almost one CIT incident every day since the beginning of 2020. CEO of Fidelity Security Services, Wal Bartman, says the increased attacks are extremely concerning to the industry. Brazen attacks on cash and transit vehicles have once again been on the rise. In the latest incident on Monday morning, a money bag as well as a firearm were stolen from a guard who was transporting cash to a CIT vehicle from a store in Kempton Park on Gauteng's East Rand. From a fidelity perspective, we have deployed extra backup and support on the road and in the air. The rate of attacks is concerning and although our vehicle design has helped in defending and, and minimizing in cash losses, there are often casualties during these attacks and this is not acceptable. Our dedicated elite units are actively involved in intelligence gathering and resources deployment during working closely with the SAPS to try and curb these attacks. According to research, most heists are run by a few organized crime syndicates that operate nationally under a so-called mastermind that oversees them with the help of inside information. A new book titled Transito, The Truth Behind Money Robberies by Dr. Henny Lochner and Pete van Staden reveals the workings of the highly professional criminal syndicates behind South Africa's cash-in-transit robberies. Lochner says his research has led him to believe that each robber who's involved in a cash-in-transit heist starts immediately planning their next hit after a successful robbery. After a cash-in-transit robbery has been successfully executed and the money split in a safe house, then it's the responsibility of each and every cash-and-transit robber to look for a new target. So they separate, but then each and everyone is looking for, for a new target. And as soon as they spot a possible target, the one that, that gathers the information will contact one of his uh, confidence, and then they will start planning again. He says a successful heist gang never has the same people working on more than one heist. So it's never the same group executing the next uh, cash and transit robbery. After the second uh, man has been included into the group, then they are using a process which is called 
crime intelligence gathering process. Then they start gathering information in the pre-planning phase. In the pre-planning phase, they are selecting the cash and transit robbers for the next cash and transit robbery, which means they will screen the people that's been recruited. Lochner says the cash and transit robbers are extremely intelligent and use various different modus operandis to hit their next target. So some of them will go back to the, the previous, uh, uh, their previous uh, uh, informants, or they will, or they will, they will tail a cash and transit vehicle, and then they will look and see what they are doing, and they will, they will see the, the, the modus operandi of, of, of the cash and transit robbers, where they stop, because these people uh, do not change their routes. On Mondays they pick up at pick and pay, and then and 10 o'clock, they pick up in checkers. So they, they follow them and, and they've got their own information. These people are very clever. They can organize. National Police spokesperson Brenda Murudili says a specialized task team has been put together to deal with the attacks. There is a national task team that is responsible for CIT robberies. And recently we've made numerous arrests. Uh, there was one in Don Park. There was one recently in uh, Bloemfontein and now one in Northwest. The task team is concentrating on four provinces, Gauteng, Limpopo, Mpumalanga and Northwest, where CIT robberies are prevalent. But uh, going into the festive season, we are going to intensify uh, crime intelligence-led operations. And then our crime intelligence is also on the ground. Uh, you've seen that recently we have uh, been able to disrupt several CIT robberies wherein the police were on the ground. And as and when it happened, the police were able to respond immediately. According to industry experts, more than 1 billion rand was stolen in cash and transit robberies over the last decade. Sasha Naidu, Johannesburg. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the urgent need to tackle global issues such as climate change, biodiversity loss and inequality. Many experts have advocated for strengthening healthcare systems and economies and to make ecosystems more resilient. While the pandemic has impacted forests and forest communities in numerous ways, forests also offer solutions for recovery. Ewald Rappetneisner, Forestry Deputy Director at the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, explains why the forestry sector is key for the response to COVID-19. Forests are biodiversity rich and animals, just as humans, they carry germs. When ecosystems are in balance and not under threat, these potential transmitters usually can be contained especially if there is limited contact between animals and humans. The problem often starts with disruption, especially when humans or domestic animals are exposed to wild animals. And this is often the case if forests are excessively used or cut. For instance, the Ebola virus in Africa, it has been shown that these were transmitted about two years after the forests were cleared. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the forestry sector? Also in the forest sector, many people have lost jobs and income. And this is often the case for family farmers, for part-time workers, for micro-enterprises and so on. And many of those worked in the informal economy. They have been at the brink of poverty before, and now they're pushed back into poverty. And there is also an effect on forests. In the short term, we saw that in the lockdown, 
Some of the operations couldn't continue, so there was less destruction. But now, with people losing jobs and income, they are seeking for new income opportunities to make a livelihood and to have food. So we see destruction and degradation rise again. What are the immediate contributions that the forestry sector can contribute to the COVID-19 recovery? And what kind of measures can be taken? The most important is that people stay safe and healthy. The forest sector contributes immensely to that. If you see people wearing masks, this is a forest product. Or think of paper towels or uh, toilet paper or some types of disinfectants. But forests also contribute a lot to a safe and healthy environment. It is no coincidence that during the pandemic many people tried to get to the countryside where you are near forests because you have cleaner air, cleaner water and a less stressful environment there. And the third point is the contribution to recovery. There are many millions of people for whom forest sectors provide jobs and income and it could be many more. Just think of all the ecosystems that could be restored, which provides jobs, and they could be made productive and resilient again, which provides long-term income opportunities. How is FAO helping to support both the forestry sector and forest-dependent communities in COVID-19 recovery efforts? The FAO works on all the points just mentioned. Our immediate concern is that people stay safe and that they do not slide back into poverty. For example, we support countries to expand social protection measures to include forest-dependent communities, including indigenous peoples. We work with family farmers and producer organizations so that they can work, improve safety and health and maintain operations. Our sustainable wildlife program works with many countries to finding ways to manage wildlife and wild meat in a safer way. But we also work hard to prevent future outbreaks of such pandemics. And for this to happen, health policies need to be changed to help address the issue at source, which is the destruction of the environment. We call this the One Health approach. Health of humans, health of animals and health of the environment. In the context of building a more resilient and sustainable society against climate change, biodiversity loss and emerging infectious diseases like COVID-19, what are the opportunities to seize for the forestry sector that can live on post-COVID-19? First, a much better recognition of all of society how important it is to maintain a healthy environment to stay safe and healthy. For this to happen, deforestation and degradation has to stop. Second, forests and trees are critical to maintain resilient ecosystems and resilient families. They can provide sustainable jobs and income from sustainable products produced in a healthy environment. And this needs full policy attention and also investments from COVID recovery programs. That was Ewald Rammetsteiner, Forestry Deputy Director at the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, speaking to FAO Radio's Charlotte Lomas. It's 7.50 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Good morning. 
The Meat Corporation of Namibia, Mietko, says it plans to sell its free-range hormone-free beef on the African market after it penetrated the lucrative Chinese and American markets. Namibia became just the second African country after South Africa to meet China's beef import requirements following negotiations that began in 2011 when an agreement on animal health and quarantine was signed in Beijing. Namibia also became the first country on the continent to export red meat to the United States after sending 25 tons of beef to Philadelphia in February this year. Petroleum company FuelX will offer Eswatini 300 direct and indirect jobs bringing employment and financial relief to many families that have been in need of an income to survive over the past months. This was revealed by Minister of Commerce, Industry and Trade Mangoba Kumalo during the launch of FuelX. He says that the empowering of breadwinners to provide for their families would have a direct impact on the overall economic and social health of the country and enhance the quality of life. A company director arrested for allegedly defrauding South Africa's Unemployment Insurance Relief Fund of over 181 million US dollars will be back in the Malamulele Magistrates Court in Limpopo province on the 19th of this month for bail application. Doris Mashimbe appeared in court on Monday morning. She allegedly claimed funds on behalf of 242 former expanded public works program workers but did not pay them. Jabulani Baloyi reports. The accused Doris Mashimbe is facing charges of fraud, theft and money laundering. Mashimbe allegedly claimed money for the workers but it did not reach the beneficiaries. The affected workers whose duties included cleaning the streets, school premises and graveyards amongst others did not receive any relief fund as the country is in the national lockdown. She has been remanded in custody until her next court appearance. Jablani Baloyi, SBC News, Malamulele. E-hailing drivers have vowed to continue to protest outside the Bolt offices in Bryanston, north of Johannesburg, South Africa. On Monday, police fired rubber bullets to disperse the protesting drivers. E-hailing drivers in Gauteng, the Western Cape and the Free State provinces have suspended their services. They are once again trying to draw attention to the need to regulate the industry, saying the companies that employ do not take them seriously. The drivers have also raised their safety concerns. The International Monetary Fund is now less optimistic about the rebounding of the Kenyan economy after it revised growth for the next year down to 4% from an earlier 6.1%. In its latest World Economic Outlook, the IMF changed the outlook for growth in 2021 citing a rocky recovery period. The revision is largely explained by the second wave of COVID-19 infections that has rocked different parts of the country even after the government reopened the economy, encouraged by an apparent flattening of the curve. The U.S. dollar is trading at 379.31 Nigerian Nara, 11.33 Botswana Pula, 107.45 Kenyan Shilling and 28 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil, 
One U.S. dollar is trading at 5 rule 52. In Russia, 76 rubles 88. India, 73 rupees 11. In China, a dollar is costing 6 rand 71. And in South Africa, you will exchange it for 16 rand 49. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,924 and platinum at $877 per ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $41.68 a barrel. From an African perspective... Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Sviso Mashefo, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za, WhatsApp on plus 277-6300327, or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is a Drive by Black Coffee and David Getter. Have a great day and keep safe.